Okay, well, let's take our Bibles tonight and let's go to Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter 17. And we are going to begin in verse number 1 here of Acts chapter number 17. And uh, if you are able to, I would invite you to stand with me as we look into God's Word tonight, Acts chapter number 17. The Bible says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, and notice how they are described here, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you have blessed us with, that where we get to be in your word. Father, we pray that you would just bless your word. I pray, Lord, that you would use me. You would help me to be a Holy Spirit-filled preacher tonight. We do pray, Lord, also that if there is one here tonight who is unsaved, Lord, we ask that this would be the night of their salvation. And Father, we pray that you would receive all of the honor and the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In verse number 6, the Christians here are described as these that have turned the world upside down. So tonight we're going to look at turning the world upside down. Because this world needs to be turned upside down for the cause of Christ. It should be our prayer and our desire is that the world, when they look at us, would say, these people are turning the world upside down. You know, when we read about um, the early believers in the New Testament in the book of Acts, and we see the, the amazing things that they were witnesses of and the things that God allowed them to be a part of, we sometimes think, well, it's almost as if we think they served a different God than what the God that we serve. The things that they saw, the numbers of people they saw saved, um, the churches that were started, uh, the way that the gospel moved and how quickly it moved from place to place and the power of God that, was rested, that rested upon them, we sometimes think, well, that can't really happen today. Well, folks, let me tell you tonight, that can happen and it will happen if we are as faithful as they were, we serve the same God that they served 2,000 years ago. God has not changed. The methods that he has prescribed for getting the gospel out is still the same. 
That is going person to person and sharing with them the gospel, showing them from the word of God how they can be saved. And there is power there. There is great power in that. And these early believers, again, were described as these that have turned the world upside down. So how are we going to do it? Because I believe God wants us to do everything that we can so that it could be said of us by the world, these that have turned the world upside down. What do we need to do? Well, it's found right here in this passage. And the first one is very simple. It's preach the word. Just preach the word. If you look at verse number two and three, the Bible talking about Paul says, and Paul, and notice how he is described here as his manner was. His manner was to preach the word of God everywhere he went. Can God say that about you or about me? That when he describes us, he says, as their manner is. Everywhere they go, they are preaching the word of God. The word of God is on their lips everywhere that they go. We need to preach the word. It's very important because that's, again, where the power is. The power is in the word of God. It's not in our abilities, our intellect, our um, power of persuasion, our ability to convince people, our ability to win arguments with people. The power is in the word of God. As Paul was nearing the end of his life and his ministry, he gave some final instructions to Timothy, a young man that he had brought up in the faith, a man that he had seen grow in the Lord, someone who was very special to the Apostle Paul. And he told him this. He said in 2 Timothy 4.2, he said, preach the word. Those were some of his final instructions. He didn't want Timothy to lose sight of the most important thing that God had called Timothy to do, to preach the word and be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Ladies and gentlemen, we just need to continue to preach the word of God. That is what is going to change this world. You know, if we want to see things changed in our country, as we want to see things changed in California, you know, when, we're, when we plant that church there in California, we want to see a change take place. I don't like the way things are in California right now. I'm from there, both my wife and I. We love it there. We love the people there. I don't like the direction it's going. You know, there's something that we can do about it, and that is to preach the word of God, because that is where the power is. And, you know, preaching the word of God just does not mean that we're just preaching the gospel, although that is the most important thing that we can share with anybody, is that we use the word of God to be a help and a blessing to all of those that are around us. You know, you can preach the word of God in more ways than just the gospel. Let's say one of your coworkers comes to you and they have a problem. Let's say they tell you they're having a problem in their marriage. Well, do you have verses that you can share with them that will help them, that will be a blessing to them? Does the word of God come out of your mouth when you are giving advice to someone? Because it really doesn't matter what you or I think about a topic. It doesn't matter what you or I think about certain things or what our opinions are. It matters what the Word of God says. If you have a neighbor and they're having a struggle in their life, maybe it's a struggle with a family member, or they're struggling with some kind of sin, do you have an answer for them from the Word of God? Or they ask questions, you know, why is this happening to me? 
You know, why is, why, you know, why are these things happening to me? Why am I suffering like this? You know, why did my spouse leave me? Why, why is my son, you know, dealing with an alcohol problem or a drug addiction? Or why am I dealing with this? Or why don't I get along with uh, people in my neighborhood? There is an answer to every problem, and it's found in the Word of God. When we use the Word of God to help people, that has an impact because that's where the power is. It's not in your opinion or my opinion. It's in the Word of God. And that's why Paul told Timothy there in 2 Timothy, Timothy, don't forget, your, your main obligation is to preach the Word of God. Keep preaching it to me, Timothy. Keep preaching the Word of God. The Bible, describing itself in Hebrews 4.12, says, For the word of God is quick and powerful. So the word of God is both alive and powerful. It's powerful enough to convict someone of their need of a Savior. It's the word of God that shows someone that they need to be saved. Again, it doesn't matter how smart we are, how persuasive we are, If we're not using the Word of God, there's no power there. There's no power outside of the Word of God. And we need to get back to that, simply preaching what the Word of God says. Because that's what Paul did. Again, the Bible says Paul as his manner was. This is his constant um, thing in life that he did. Everywhere he went, he went preaching the Word of God. He always talked about this is what the Scriptures say. This is what the Bible says about that. And the Bible has something to say about every topic in life. Everything that we're seeing happening in our society and in our country, the Word of God has an answer for that. But if we don't open our mouths and share those answers, well, there's no power there. We must share the Word of God with people. We must be able to show them that there is hope, that there is a God who loves them, That's what Paul was doing. When Paul was opening the scriptures, he said, describing Christ, he said, that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So Paul's focus was, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what he can do for you. Let me tell you what he has done for you already. In dying and being buried and rising again from the dead, he did that for you. And that's the message that we need to share. And that's what we need to just get back to. Sometimes it's, it's getting back to just the real simple things. And it's not that complicated to understand that our, our responsibility and our, the way that we're going to turn the world upside down is to preach the word of God. Because, that, again, that's where the power is. <clears throat> the second thing is then that we need to participate in the work. Look at verse number four. It says, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. So as Paul is preaching, many people come to Christ. And those that, that, that come to Christ, those that are saved, join up uh, with Paul and Silas. They, they join up in the work of the ministry. and says they consorted with Paul and Silas. No, we as believers, uh, we need to work together in getting the gospel out. We need to to work together in in the ministry of the saints. We need to be together as believers. The Bible says in Psalm 133, verse 1, 
Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Folks, we need to be unified as believers. In your local church here, there needs to be a spirit of unity. You know, when God looks at a church, at His church, He looks at each local church and He sees, you know, what, what is God looking for in a local church? Well, He's looking for the right doctrine, right? He's looking for, um, you know, soul winning, a church that goes out into the world and gets the gospel out, a church that, that sends and supports missionaries all across the world. You know, he's looking for, for, um, for believers who are living uh, according to the word of God, a church that's following the Bible, a church that loves each other and loves the world. But he's also looking for a church that dwells in unity. God wants to see a spirit of unity in his church. It's very important that we as believers, as we, when we gather together as a local assembly, that there is a spirit of unity. It doesn't mean that there's complete agreement on everything, although there ought to be on the major points of doctrine. There ought to be agreement there. But if there's small disagreements, that's okay. That shouldn't cause us to uh, be... Uh, um, uh, to, to have, shouldn't cause there to be a, a, a disunion where there's no unity. We ought to be there for each other. Too often there are churches where there's not a spirit of unity. Now, there might, everyone might get along in the church, but are they working together to do the work of the church? That's very important, that we are working together. You know, you want, to re- you want to see this area reach with the gospel, no doubt. You, you want to see people saved and see people baptized and then get them discipled. You know, you desire to see that. Well, what are you doing to make that happen? Because it just can't be your pastor doing it. Sometimes, too often, in our churches, everything is just relegated to the pastor or the staff or the deacons say, okay, you guys do it. Every believer in a local church, is called to do their part in propagating the gospel, whether it's knocking doors or handing out gospel tracts or doing something to get the gospel out. It isn't just for a small group within the church. This is the group that does the soul winning. Everyone ought to participate in that because, again, that's where power is as well, when there is a spirit of unity. You know, one of the... um, Distinguishing marks of the early church, and one thing that really um, is a difference from the early church to churches today, is that spirit of unity, everyone working together. Turn briefly to Acts chapter number 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. We're going to look at a verse that is repeated throughout the book of Acts. There are many verses throughout this book uh, that describe the early church this way. Uh, we'll just look at one of them. Acts 4.32 <clears throat> says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. So they were totally united. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. These were believers who were there for each other, and they were totally united. They served together, prayed together, uh, went soul winning together. They did everything together. 
To them, church just wasn't where you went on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or a Wednesday night. It was, it was your life. It was your family. And that's what a church ought to be, a family, where you're there for each other, um, working together, serving each other. You know, the church is, a local church is the body of Christ. And a body, to function well, needs all of its members working together. The Bible talks about that. You know, a body needs the eyes to work and the ears to work and the brain to work and the heart to work and the feet and the hands, all of it. That's exactly what the local church is. A body, the body of Christ, working together. All the members working together to see the work of, uh, uh, the, work of the ministry accomplished. Uh, we as believers, we need to kind of have a renewed um, zeal for the work of the ministry. That it's not just something we do as a routine, but something that we desire to do, something that we have a love to do, something that we are addicted to. When we talk about addiction, we always talk about it in a negative light. Someone's addicted to drugs or alcohol or gambling or, or something else. We always view addiction as something bad. But the Bible talks about addiction in a good way in 1 Corinthians 16, 15, talking about Stephanus and his household. It describes them this way. It says, they that have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Stephanus and his family, they were addicted to the work of the ministry. They were committed. They couldn't help themselves. They couldn't help but serve each other, but be in their local church to meet the needs that, that their fellow believers had. It wasn't a, a, they, they, weren't, they didn't think to themselves, well, what can I do to keep from serving in a particular area? You know, maybe I'll serve in this area, but I'm not going to serve in that area. Or, um, you know, maybe there's a need over here, and it's easier for me to meet that need, and I'll just ignore these other needs. They were looking for ways to serve. Every single area of service, they were open and willing to, to participate in that. Again, they, they were addicted to the ministry of the saints. And the word ministry just means service, to, to serve. You know, Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to be our example of ministry. He came to serve, not to be served. You remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, he was doing that as an example for them, teaching them this is what you need to do to fulfill the ministry. Serve others. Lower yourself. There can be no job that is beneath a Christian. It doesn't matter what it is. There can be no ministry that is beneath a believer. You can never think that you're too good to do this thing or that thing. Every Christian has a responsibility to serve in their local church. And when we, if we're right in here and we're right with each other, right with God, then we can go out there and tell people how they can be made right with God. Remember what the Bible says. The Bible says that judgment begins the house of God. If we're not right here, if you're not right with each other, 
Don't expect then that you're going to have the power you need to go out there and to tell people how they can be made right with God. Remember, it's important that we are together, that we stand together, united. Now, there are things to divide over, right? Amen. There are things that we need to say, okay, this is wrong. We're not going to be a part of that. There may be other believers, but that's a point that we just cannot unite around. But on those things where we agree and we know our sound biblical doctrine, at that point then we need to come together and to work together to accomplish the work of the Lord. Because this is what the early church had. They had a spirit of unity. They were of one heart and of one soul. They all pitched in for the work of the ministry. You know, I'm reminded of, in Exodus, the uh, construction of the tabernacle. In order for that tabernacle to be built, everyone had to pitch in. Everyone had to come together and give of themselves and give what they had to see the tabernacle built. And they did. They came with all that they had to see that tabernacle constructed. So much so that by the end, uh, they were telling people, no, no, don't bring any more. We have enough. You've brought enough and more than enough. And how did that happen? Because they were totally invested in the construction of the tabernacle because that's what God had commanded them to do. They believed it and they were totally invested in that. Are you invested in your local church here? Are you invested in this ministry? And I just don't mean, do you give tithes and offerings? I mean, do you serve? Do you find places where you can help meet needs that are here? Because every local church has a number of needs that need to be met. And as the saying goes, uh, many hands make light work. The work is easier when we're all working together. We need to have a spirit of unity. Uh, too often, there's a clash that happens. We're either butting heads or we're headed in opposite directions. Be like if I were to say, let's move the piano. And if you have ever moved a piano, you know how hard it is. These things are heavy. <laughs> They're monsters. <laughs> Let's say I was going to recruit a few men here. Let's say, let's move the piano. And I tell them, okay, you push toward me and I push toward you. And let's go. Well, we're not going to go anywhere. Why? Because we're pushing against each other. And that's what happens in a lot of churches. Too much conflict going on. Where we're trying to push against each other. We, ra- we want our agenda to happen. It doesn't matter if someone else who's in charge of that area has a different agenda. And we just clash. Well, nothing's going to get done. Or, or the opposite. I have a man here to help me move the piano, and I tell him, okay, you pull in that direction, I'll pull in the opposite direction. Again, that piano is going nowhere. Why? Because we're going in opposite directions. You know, the pastor says, okay, uh, we got soul winning on Saturday. Uh, let's, let, let's everyone get involved, and no one shows up because everyone's got their own thing they're doing. Oh, I'm going fishing, hunting. Uh, you, know, my, you know, we got sports to do. Uh, you know, well, problem is the work's not going to get done because people are going in opposite directions. They've got opposite agendas. Someone's off over here doing their thing. Another believer's off over here doing their thing. And the only time they ever see each other is on a Sunday morning. Well, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. We ought to be united. When we work together, if I have another man helping me with the piano, and it's okay, let's both go in this direction. That piano is going to get moved. The work's going to get done. The only way it's going to get done is if there is a spirit of unity. 
the early church, they were a unified church. They worked together, and so the power of God rested upon them. Lastly, if we're going to turn the world upside down, we have to prepare for the world because the world will come at us if we are truly making a difference. Look at verse 5 there in Acts chapter number 17. The Bible says, But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lute fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. When we are preaching the word of God and it makes a difference and we really have an impact, um, there are going to be those that will not like it. Because I don't know, I shouldn't have to tell you this, but the world does not like the gospel. It runs contrary to what the world believes. And we know we have an enemy. He is Satan and he wants to destroy um, what God would have us to do. So persecution is a part of turning the world upside down. It kind of comes with it. It should be expected. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If we live godly in Christ Jesus, then we will suffer some form of persecution. Now, really what we suffer here in America, especially over these last two years with COVID, has been more of an inconvenience than a persecution. In fact, Paul described what he suffered through. He called it light affliction. And Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. His life was threatened. Um, People forsook him. People in the ministry abandoned him. And he called that light affliction. Why? Because compared to heaven and the glories of heaven, it is light affliction. So if Paul can suffer some light affliction for the sake of the gospel. Um, Can't we suffer just a little bit for the sake of the gospel? I mean, can we handle someone not liking us anymore? Someone maybe that used to be a friend and we try to share with them the gospel and they say, you know, I just can't, I, I I, I don't want to hear it anymore. In fact, I really don't want to be around you anymore because of that. that. That sometimes will happen. You know, you knock on a door and they do slam the door in your face and I have had that happen. A door literally slammed in your face. That Those things happen. Can we handle that? I pray to God that we can handle that. But when we are out in the world and we really make an impact and we really make a difference in the world, there is going to be uh, some pushback. The world is not going to like it. And Satan has always tried to stop us from what God has called us to do. He will always use something or someone to try to get us to give up and to quit. The early church, um, they could have given up any number of times as they faced persecution. Um, you know, they, again, they were beaten, imprisoned. I think about Paul and Silas, where they're in Philippi. All they're doing is preaching the gospel. That's it. 
They're not breaking any laws. Um, they're not rioting. They're not causing mayhem. They're just preaching the gospel. And some people get saved. Well, there are other people that didn't like that very much. So what do they do? They have Paul and Silas arrested. They beat them first and then throw them into prison. You know what Paul and Silas did at midnight in that prison? And prisons then are not like prisons in this country today. Prisons today are like um, holiday inns compared to what prisons were in Paul's day. I mean, there's no privacy. They smell disease. Um, they're lucky if they got enough food and water. I mean, it's disgusting. Um, it's unimaginable how rough it was. Uh, these were not comfortable places by any stretch of the imagination. But Paul and Silas, in the midst of that, right in the middle of their persecution, were able to pray and sing praises unto God in the midst of all of that. You know, we, we get upset when somebody, you know, takes a gospel tract and throws it on the ground. And we feel like we got to say something. And I had that happen one time. I, we were out in a parking lot, and we had invitations. I forget what it was for, some special meeting. And we were handing out invitation cards, just putting them on, on, the, on the windshields, you know, or on the door of the vehicles, just trying to reach as many people as we can. And some guy had one in his hand and drove up to me with the window down, and he said, you know, you guys shouldn't be doing this. This is People just throw them on the ground and make trash. You know, and I thought, well, we're just trying to invite people to church. And he said, well, find another way. I don't think it was the fact that they were on the ground, or I think it was what it said he didn't like, because he had a, an attitude about it. Now, I could have said something, <laughs> and I could have, you know, well, you know, let me tell you, buddy, uh, what's, what's up. Um, but, you know, you just move on. You just have to move on. As, as Jesus said, you know, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next place. Because if they won't receive you there, then move on to the next person. Sometimes we think that you know, we need to say something in response to some form of persecution. But sometimes we just need to rejoice in God and just praise the Lord uh, that we're able to be used of Him. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> and uh, let's look at verse number 40. The Bible says, and to, them they, to him they agreed when they had called the apostles, and look at this, and beaten them. I've never been beaten for my faith. I've been cursed at. I've been made fun of. You know, I've been laughed at, um, but I've never been beaten. It says, and beaten them. They commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Notice the response of these believers here. They didn't complain. They didn't go to the authorities and say, hey, can you take care of those people for us? Um, they didn't figure out how they could get back at them. It says, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. That's an interesting response. Rejoicing after being beaten and commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. Are we able to do that? Are we able to have that kind of a response? It says, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. All persecution, whatever form it comes in, is about one thing. People who do not want to hear the message of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that they have a problem with, not you or I. Not us. It's him that they have an issue with. But they responded by rejoicing. 
And then it says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So they were commanded, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they, they left their persecution rejoicing. And praise God that you know, we were able to identify with Christ in that moment. That, that God counted wor- us worthy to suffer shame for his name. Because we understand that we are totally unworthy, really, to be used of him. But he still chooses to. And it says that they ceased not. You know, they ceased not. And they faced real persecution, not you know, an inconvenience or a frustration or something we didn't like. And they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. We need, that needs to be our attitude, that we cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you know, the Bible says in Philippians, it's talking about, Paul talks about that I may know him. Paul wanted to know Christ. And, and that would be all of our prayers, that we would know Christ. Now, I want to know Christ more. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And we all want the power of his resurrection, amen, upon our lives. We want to know that power. We want to see it uh, manifested in our lives and in our churches. We want the power of the resurrection. But then Paul turns a corner. He says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul wanted to be able to identify with the sufferings that Jesus experienced. And you remember, no one has suffered more than Jesus did. His death on the cross was a agonizing. It was excruciating. And I believe that's where we get that word from, crucifixion. Excruciating. It was brutal. It was painful. It was a shameful death. He, he was, he was, they, they, they spat upon him. They mocked him. They, they beat him. They scourged him. He shed his blood in a painful and agonizing death. And he hung on that cross. And they mocked him as he hung on that cross. They said, oh, um, he saved others. Let him save himself. You know, if you really are God, you know, if you really claim you to be, if you are who you claim to be, come down off the cross and we'll believe you. Of course, all that was a lie. But he suffered that. And that's the kind of suffering that Paul wanted to know. Not that he wished harm on himself. And we don't, I don't, we don't look for persecution. I'd rather never have to suffer anything for the cause of Christ, you know, if it were my choice. But if you really want to know Christ all the way, sometimes there's going to be some suffering that's going to happen. You know, we don't look for it. We don't seek it out. But when it comes... No, it's not that we just say, oh, this is so great that I get to suffer all of this. It's so great that, you know, I lost my job because I'm a Christian. It's so great that, um, you know, um, I'm in prison because I preach the gospel. But count that as an opportunity to say, you know what, now I can draw closer to Christ. Because now I can, I can, in some small way, identify with the suffering that he experienced. Because remember, Christ suffered even though he had done no sin. Christ was not dying for his own sins because he had none. He was dying for our sins. He suffered for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. But can we suffer a little bit 
in trying to turn the world upside down? Can, can we, for just a little bit, get outside of our comfort zones? You know, we as believers, we sometimes get into a little box of comfort. And we think, you know, inside that box of comfort, as long as we're doing good things, everything's okay. You know, I, I'm, you know, faithful in church. I'm a faithful prayer warrior. I'm a deacon or I serve in a music ministry or, um, you know, I'm faithful in my, my, in my giving. And we construct this little box that we make and we say, okay, this is where I'm comfortable. And too often we never want to get outside of that box. And we think, well, everything in the box is good. So I'm doing okay. But what if God says, no, no, get out of the box? You know, you're going to have to be a little uncomfortable if you're really going to make an impact in your world. The apostles, they were never comfortable. I would never describe Paul's life as a life of just comfort and ease. Paul never had it easy in life. But did he not make an impact? I can dare say that we are here now because of the impact that he had and what he did. I mean, he truly changed his world with the gospel. And it wasn't because anything was, that was great about Paul. It was because God was able to use that weak and imperfect vessel to accomplish his purposes. God still wants to do some unbelievable things here in our place and in our time. But are we the vessels that he can use? Or, or do we box ourselves in and we get comfortable with our Christianity? And we're like, we think to ourselves, you know, I'm doing good and I'm comfortable, so I'll just stay there. Well, what difference is going to be made? What, what real impact are we going to make? If we want to do that, if we want to truly see things changed, no, we're going to have to get outside of that comfortable box that we have built for ourselves every once in a while and just say, I'm going to step out by faith. I know God wants me to do this. It's not comfortable. Um, it's scary. I don't know what the end result will be. I don't know what's going to happen to me or my family. But, you know, God wants me to do this because he wants to change this world with the gospel. He wants to save people. And in order for that to happen, I'm going to have to get outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to have to leave that box that I built for myself. And too often we do that, and I know I'm the same way. We get inside that box and we get real comfortable. Well, we just need to step outside of that box and say, you know what, I'll go to a place that no one else will go. No. I'll share the gospel with someone that no one else will. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be a blessing to that person when no one else will be. Someone that everyone else has totally ridden off. You know, and the world, even the world says, nope, um, uh, we don't want nothing to do with that person. But someone, a Christian wants to get outside of that box says you know what I will step out and I will be a help and a blessing to that person because they need someone right now and no it's not comfortable for me and I don't know what 
and, and you know, they're not going to be able to do anything for me, but what can I do for them? Um, I just want to say that we, we want to see the things, do we not, the things that happen in the book of Acts. We, we want to have that kind of power in our lives. We want to turn the world upside down. We want those out there in the world to say of us, hey, these believers, you know, that Cornerstone Baptist Church, they're turning the world upside down. Boy, they're making a difference. And we all want that. But we need to do the things that are necessary to make that happen. We need to be the people that God has called us to be so that that can happen. I'll put it this way. Um, There's a sports analogy. You know, it's said of, of great athletes or great coaches, um, or all, all athletes and coaches, that they all want to win. Everybody wants to win, right? Um, every team wants to win. Um, every coach wants to win. Nobody wants to lose. But not every coach and not every player, every athlete, wants to do the things it takes to win, the discipline it takes, uh, the time and practice, the investment. So that's, that's really the difference between winners and losers in athletics. They all want to win, but they all necessarily don't want to do the things that they need to in order to win, and that's the difference. You know, Tom Brady, um, you know, the, you know the, the quarterback that has never won a game before, wants to win just as much as Tom Brady does. But Tom Brady has done the things to win that the other quarterback might not want to do. That time and investment and, you know, they might be the most talented athlete in the world, but they don't do the things that are necessary to, to, to win, to achieve their goals. And every believer, you know, if, if is honest, they will say, yes, I want to see God do amazing things. I, I want to see God's power in my life and in the life of my church. I want to see that. But not every believer is willing to make the sacrifices, to endure the suffering and the hardships that come with really seeing God's power. And we as believers just need to be willing to say, you know, I want God just to use me completely. And even though it won't always be comfortable, it won't always be easy, but that's what I want God to do in my life. And if every single one of us who are here, you all God wants to use every person here tonight, everyone here who is saved. God wants to use you. God has something for your life specifically. And he wants to use you to be an impact out there in this world. The question is not, does God want to use me out in the world? The question is, do you, will you let God use you? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we just thank you so much for um, what you have taught us tonight. Father, we just pray that you would help us, Lord. Um, well, we just need your help tonight. Um, we're all very needy people. And Lord, we know that um, we know what you have called us to do. We pray for the Holy Spirit's power to rest upon our lives. And we pray that we would have that renewed zeal to reach the world, to really make an impact. Help us to understand that knowing you comes with both the power of your resurrection 
and of the fellowship of your suffering. And help us, Lord, um, as we strive to reach the world with the gospel, Lord. Uh, we just need your help. We know that we can only do it through your power. And I just pray for the believers who are here tonight, Lord, that you would just bless them, um, help them to draw closer to you, and just use them in a mighty way as only you can do. And Father, help us, Lord, to always ensure that you receive the glory in everything that we do. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.